here and go back to Mark 10. Have you ever seen blatant, gross injustice? You may have watched um, at times of slavery, a movie that portrays slavery in our country, and watched people, uh, slaves treated harshly, cruelly, unjustly. And everyone who watches that says, that is wrong. So wrong. You watch someone today who is in the presence of their boss or a parent or some authority and the child or the employee is treated unjustly, cruelly. And you walk away from watching that saying, that is wrong. The worst that the creation and the world can do is on display in Mark chapter 14 about as gross as injustice gets, is here. Our Savior knows what it's like to be treated unjustly. He in all points was tempted like as we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. Our Savior suffered injustice. Well, Mark 10, verse 45 tells us the mindset of Jesus as he's going to face this injustice. He knew this was coming. It wasn't a surprise to him. And as you're reading through the Gospels, you know you're going to get to the end of the Gospels and and realize that Jesus is not going to be treated fairly. Justice is not going to be served here because all that sinful um, humanity can give is injustice at its best. And yet, that didn't deter Jesus from his mission And he tells the disciples in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse, uh, let's pick it up in verse 41. So the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest. James and John incite the other disciples. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and says, okay, this is a teaching moment, and says to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We just sang about being ransomed by amazing grace. And we're going to go from here now back to Mark 14. The fallen world at its worst, when its creator and servant comes to redeem them, what do they do? They despise him. Fallen humanity is so weak compared to our sovereign Savior. And the weakness is so apparent in our passage today 
But here as the suffering servant gives himself to the perverted justice system. Justice is not possible when the trial begins with a verdict already decided. In our weakness and attempts to keep God, to stay God of our own lives, we despise Jesus for a while as well. After he rescued us, we still struggle in our weaknesses with powerful people of the world despising our Savior and pressuring us to deny that we know or we follow him. The story should add to our love for our Savior as he shows us how to handle injustice. Why do we need this passage? We're going to look at uh, verse 53 to uh, the end of our chapter, Mark 14. We need to love and appreciate our Savior who gave his life as a ransom for us. Every time you read the Gospels, and you're going to see it at the end of every Gospel, your love for your Savior should grow. Every four weeks here at Grace, we are following our Savior's uh, command to have the Lord's table, to remember what he has done for us. As a church, we are doing everything we can uh, to make sure that our, our Savior and his sacrifice for us is at the forefront of our worship. He is the reason we gather here. He is the reason we go out and tell others about him. He is the reason that we, as we learn in Sunday school, forgive those even seven times in a day. He is the reason that we sell everything that we have and lay up treasure in heaven. He is the reason. And he shows us how to be a servant. His disciples needed it. We need it. We always think more like uh, the Lord of the Gentiles, lorded overing people, than we do like a servant. Well, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, if you have Isaiah 53 in your Bible, you'll see that the title is suffering servant. And 700 years before Jesus comes, Isaiah says he would be despised and rejected. Rejected, we saw last week, was forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Twice in this verse, we are told that when the Messiah comes, he would be despised. So our notes today are going to follow. There is a despising humanity near Christ in our text, and there's a denying humanity that's near Christ in our text. The majority of the text that we just read is about the despising humanity. Why do people despise Jesus? Why, when they, they can change a Jesus and make a, I mean, a softer Jesus, as you'll see in many uh, attempts to put Jesus on a screen uh, for entertainment purposes today, uh, but the book is always going to be better, okay? And so what you'll find in the book, uh, the Word of God, is an accurate representation of who Jesus was and did. And years ago, there were all these bracelets that were out, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That's subjective. A better thing you could say is, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Because that, instead of subjective, well, I don't know if Jesus would have done that, or I don't know if Jesus would have said that. That's all subjective, and I become the determiner of what would Jesus have done. Instead, what did Jesus do? Oh, that puts the pressure on me to go study what Jesus did. And then to see what I'm doing and like, oh, I'm not like that. So 
I've got to change what I'm doing to follow my Savior. What did Jesus do? Well, we'll see here. He's going to perfectly serve the people who are despising him. And their hatred for him, he is taking, he's on his way to the cross to pay for their hatred against him. And they can't see it. They're blind. And for many years, and many of you got saved as an adult, many years you were blind to the sacrifice of Jesus who took your place on the cross, who served you. And for many years you may have despised him or changed what you saw of his glory in the pages of Scripture to be a little more palatable Jesus, a Jesus who is loving and who expects nothing of me. Well, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The true Jesus of the Bible will always be despised by the majority of the world because they're headed for destruction. They don't want to be told that they are their biggest enemy. Instead, there are people that even want to serve Satan instead of Jesus because of the despising of Jesus. Well, as you, have you read through the Gospels, you're, you're anticipating there are a lot of people who don't like Jesus. They don't like his claims. They don't like his teaching. They don't like his miracles. They don't like him telling parables about them, as we saw this morning, that the, the religious leaders, um, scribes, Pharisees, chief priests, all hate him. And we're going to see them mentioned in verse 53. So after they arrest Jesus, Mark is going to tell us that they led Jesus to the high priest. And at the high priest, we'll assume it's his house, all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes come together. This could be the Sanhedrin, 70 um, of the religious and powerful leaders. These are, this is a Jewish Supreme Court. And at the Jewish Supreme Court, we're going to find how they treat Jesus. Verse 54 tells us that Peter followed at a distance. We're going to get to Peter in verse 66. And so it puts Peter, and Peter likely is telling Mark this account, and so Mark is writing from Peter's perspective here, and we're wondering how Peter got there. Well, Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Uh, remember, Peter is bold. He's bold enough to pull out his sword in the garden, but he flees with the rest of the disciples, but he follows at a distance, and he goes right into the courtyard of the high priest. So outside of a house would be a courtyard, and likely could hear some of what was going on inside, uh, could likely see if the windows were open, what was going on inside at this supreme court. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Verse 55, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Did you just get that, what, what just happened? At the supreme court, of the Jewish authorities. They've already decided he needs to die. Now, what would this be like in our justice system if you go to court for whatever crime and the people, the judge and the jury already are saying, this guy needs the death penalty. Now, we just got to figure out how to get there. You're like, what? There's no fair trial here. They've already decided that he deserves to die before he even is tried. This is the fallen world at its worst. So the chief priests and the whole council, 
They're seeking testimony. Here's this guy on trial, and after he's there and on trial, they're saying, okay, so we got to have some witnesses. Any witnesses here? we got to have witnesses. They're doing it completely backwards. What should have happened? Witnesses come to the authorities, say, hey, this guy uh, has done this or that, and that, okay, so let's go get him and put him on trial. We already have the witnesses. No, this is exactly opposite. They decided the verdict. Then they try to find the witnesses, and we're going to find out what kind of witnesses they have here. Verse 56, for many bore false witness against him. Bearing false witness, does this sound familiar to Old Testament scholars who are present in the room? What does the Bible say about bearing false witness? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Commandment number nine. Did the Pharisees know this? Absolutely. Did the scribes know this? Absolutely. Did the chief priests know this? Absolutely. And yet, why are they doing this? Because they despise him. And when you and I despise Jesus, all we're capable of is gross injustices. When you despise anyone, it blurs your justice, your sense of fairness. So many bore false witness against him. But they know the Old Testament. And what's the Old Testament say? We can't put anyone to death without the witnesses of two or three people. Numbers 35 says this. Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 19 says this. All of these texts of the Old Testament forbid trials without two or three agreeing witnesses. Well, they want to kill him. They need witnesses. The best witnesses they have are false witnesses, which is disobeying God. And then, as they have false witnesses against him, verse 56 says, but their testimony did not agree. So they have all these different witnesses, and they're all lying about Jesus, and none of them are saying the same thing. So here is the best court system of the Jewish people who know the best laws of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They all know it. They've taught it. They're trying somewhat to obey it, and they're just disobeying it and disobeying it and disobeying it. Why? Because they despise him. They're deciding the verdict before the trial. They're seeking false witnesses. John's gospel tells us when we get to John's gospel in a couple years, there are many witnesses throughout John's gospel that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And yet, all of those witnesses are not called into question in this court system. Instead, they're looking for people who also despise Jesus to lie about him. Verse 57. And some so here's an example of the false testimony. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say this, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will build it again in three days. He wasn't talking about the physical temple. The Gospels tell us he was talking about his body. They couldn't even get that right. They have all these different ways of twisting what Jesus says. It's no different today. When people despise Jesus, they pervert what Jesus says. They say a loving Jesus would not 
exclude people, would not discriminate against people, would not... Well, let's look at what Jesus did. Not what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus teach and say? And yet, all the best that the fallen world can do in despising our Savior is to find false testimonies, and they still can't get two or three people to agree. And it says that in verse 59. Yet, even about this, their testimony did not agree. Well, I heard him say this, which is twisted, and I heard him say this, which wasn't true, which I heard him say this, and all these things, they, they cannot get him, they can't have a true, um, true testimony here. What you'll see is truth is if you have a red letter edition, is in verse 62. That's the only truth that's going on at this trial. Well, verse 60 tells us, and the high priest stood up in the midst. So after all these false testimonies, he's like, this is, we're getting nowhere. These guys aren't agreeing. What am I going to do now? We've got to put this guy to death. We've got to tell the Romans to put him to death. We, they couldn't put him to death on their own. So verse 60 and the high priest stood up in the midst and so asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is, it, what is it that these men testify against you? So Jesus is not going to ever speak whenever he is falsely accused. Okay? And this is a... I was, we would all say this is a fake trial. This is just despising people, trying to have a trial. But this is the Supreme Court of Judaism. And he's, but verse 61, as we'll see next week as well before Pilate, he remained silent and made no answer. Again, he doesn't clarify what he said. He has taught, it's written. Uh, many people heard him, but because of their despising, they're twisting everything he said, so he's not going to talk here. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, not an accusation, but a question. Now Jesus is going to answer this, and he says, I am. And he adds this as a judgment. So he's on trial, and he's telling them about their judgment. Here is the sovereign servant of the universe while he's on trial, telling his people that have him on trial, someday you're going to be on trial. Ooh, of course they don't like it. They despise him. So what does Jesus say? I am. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I am the Son of the Blessed, the Son of God. And he says, then you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Whoa! When are they going to see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power? Well, Revelation 20 tells us when they will. It's called the great white throne judgment. And everyone, the dead, small and great, are going to stand before God and the book's open. He also says, and you also see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. When will they see Him coming with the clouds of heaven? Revelation 1 tells us that. Even those who pierced Him We'll see Jesus when he comes back. I don't know how that works. I don't know if it's like the rich man and Lazarus story in Luke 16, where we, uh, the, those who are in hell can still see um, 
in horror what's going on on earth or some of the events of the end of time. We don't know exactly how this is going to work. But Revelation 1 tells us that that's going to be fulfilled. Revelation 20 says the first thing that Jesus says is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus is who he says he is. So of all the falseness, the gross injustice that's happening, in the middle of it is our Savior who is speaking the truth. And he's warning them. You need me. You need me as your Savior. I'm coming with the clouds of heaven. And we know what Revelation is about. And if you are not with him then, it is not going to be pleasant for you. And we know Revelation 20. All of death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. A lake of fire. Forever. That's the destiny of those who gave Jesus this fake trial. And while all this injustice is going on, Jesus is telling them true justice is coming and you're going to be the one standing in front of me as I am seated at the right hand of the power of the blessed of God Almighty. Whoa. They reject this truth. As they reject the truth of who He is, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, He gives them another warning. And then they react cruelly. Why? Because they despise Him. They're looking for way, a way to kill Him. Verse 63, And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? Okay, it is either blasphemy because he's claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, or it's true. He is not just as many, many, many false religions say he's just a prophet, he's just a teacher. That is, that's, that's, not, that's not a conclusion that we can come to from this text of Scripture or many of the other claims of Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John. He either is the Messiah or he is a liar and should have been put to death. The Jewish people realize this and say, you are blaspheming. Several other times they have said he was blaspheming, and especially whenever he forgave someone, the man who was let down in the uh, ceiling, and he forgave his sins before he healed him. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody, a lot of these guys maybe had heard about this story and said, this guy is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They say, yes, that's right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus can forgive sins. So then Jesus is God. Oh, no, 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 no. He can't, he can't be God. And if they have rejected him and rejected his claims of deity and rejected the stories of Lazarus being resurrected and the widow, uh, widow's son being resurrected and Jairus' daughter being resurrected, at least three resurrections that they know of, and yet they have assumed Jesus is not God. And the best they can do is injustice. They react cruelty, cruelly to this, and let's see how they treat him. And they all condemned him as deserving death because of blasphemy. None of the witnesses 
they said, okay, you have said, we all heard that what you said. And they, the high priest tearing his garments in the Jewish uh, customs, Jewish law, they, he was not allowed to tear his garments except in grief when he heard blasphemy. But this is not grief. This is joyful glee. Hooray! Yes, he blasphemed! We can put him to death! Let's tear my garments. That's what happens. Another injustice, breaking their own traditional law, adding to the injustice. And then, verse 65, some began to spit on him, and some, and some to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! Another gospel says, Prophesy who hit you. And he could have easily done that, but he doesn't open his mouth. And the guards received him with blows. They're treating him extremely cruelty, cruelty, cruelly. Why? Because they despise him. You're despising the one who came to set you free. It makes no sense. But we know our own sinful heart, it does make sense. This is how sinners react. This is how sinners treat a perfect God when given the chance. And then there's Peter. Peter is not despising Jesus, no. He has just come to Jesus' aid in the garden with the sword, swiping the guy's ear off. He's following at a distance. He, he feels bad that he left Jesus and forsook him. Uh, he's confused about why this arrest and what's going to happen. And so he follows at a distance. And remember what Jesus says, uh, that you're all going to forsake me. And the disciples say, no way. And Peter says, if all these guys forsake you, I am not going to forsake you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows tonight, twice, you're going to have denied me three times. And here is providence, here is sovereignty, here is God being able to look into the future and give specific details, like inside information to one person. So as the rooster starts crowing, it means nothing to the guards, it means nothing to the Sanhedrin, it means only something to one person, Peter. And he's weak, and he's fearful. That's why he fled in the garden, and we're going to see his weakness. He's following at a distance. He goes right into the courtyard, though. And verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Remember, one of the other servants of the high priest is the guy who lost his ear to Peter's sword, okay? So here is, I mean, there's not a huge probably gathering of servants here, uh, slaves, uh, and those guards that we, we saw back in verse 54. And Peter comes, and seeing Peter warming himself, this is one of the servant girls, she looks at him and says, you ever look at someone and says, you look familiar? You look familiar. Well, this servant girl, Peter is not one of the uh, less known disciples. Peter is in the front. He is usually next to Jesus. When he's arrested, he is right there with the sword, uh, he's got the face, uh, he's the face of the disciples, right? So seeing Peter warming himself, she looks at him and says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Verse 68, but he denied it. 
Other, I mean, just a very simple, you were with him. You are a follower of his. And he says, I neither know nor understand what you mean. He acts like he's confused. Like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 68 continues, and he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed first time. Okay? Only Peter this means anything to. A rooster crows all the time at this time of day. But this rooster is part of a prophecy. And Peter's at the center of that prophecy. And the rooster crowing after the first denial doesn't stop him from two more denials. And so he goes, uh, he goes out to the gateway. He gets away from this girl temporarily. And the servant girl saw him again and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. He's one of his disciples, one of his followers. Second time, but he again denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again say to Peter, so now they agree with this girl. So the first two times it was just the girl and then the girl to the crowd. And then the, the crowd says, yes, they agree with the girl and say to Peter in verse 70, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. And then verse 71, here's his third denial. But he began to invoke a curse on himself. God can curse me if I'm lying and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Denied that he followed him. Denied that he knew what she was talking about. And now an outright denial. I don't even know this guy. And immediately... You have seen immediately throughout the Gospel of Mark, a perfect servant immediately does what his master says. Here is a rooster that immediately does what the sovereign creator wanted it to do. Crow. And it crows. At the exact time it needs to crow. To get a message to one person. An inside prophecy. And... Peter hears the rooster crow the second time. I'm assuming as Peter tells Mark, I remember hearing that rooster the first time and I, it didn't stop me from denying Jesus two more times. And after I denied him the third time, I wasn't even thinking about the rooster, but as soon as that rooster goes off, ah! Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. And Peter breaks down and weeps. During the injustice, this gross injustice, Peter has already fallen asleep in the garden and left Jesus alone when he wanted companionship. And now as he's close to Jesus and Jesus is suffering injustice at the hands of the Jewish authorities, he is outside denying him. He denies that he was with him, the first two denials, and the third denial, he denies that he even knows him. And then how does he, it's interrupted by remembering. Jesus goes to the cross, and Peter has in his mind, this night, the next day, I can't believe I denied him. 
reacting to the denial with sorrow. See, the other people around Jesus aren't sorrowful that they've hit him and spit on him and, and all the, the way that they have treated him unjustly. The high priest isn't all bent out of shape because he should not have treated Jesus this way. No, because they don't know God. They don't know Jesus. But Peter does know Jesus and does know him and did lie that he didn't know him. And he's reacting to this denial with sorrow. You can read the book of Acts. Peter doesn't deny that he knows Jesus after this. Even if he has to be crucified on a cross in the future, Peter's not going to deny him again. Weak, fearful humanity. Does Jesus deny that he knows the Father? Does Jesus deny what was asked him? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? No, Jesus tells the truth. There are people lying about Jesus at his, at his uh, um, trial. There are people outside at the courtyard lying about Jesus to save themselves. And yet Jesus, in the middle of this, has just one less, less than one verse, verse 62, where he is telling the truth. In the middle of weak humanity, in the middle of injustice, after injustice, after injustice. And here we are today. Don't think that if I was there, I wouldn't have denied him. Oh no, you're proud, <laughs> you're weak. I'm proud and I'm weak too. I would have been with Peter. Like, yeah, we don't know this guy. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as we heard the rooster crow, oh, man, I got to go confess that as sin. Deny him today. When powerful people tell you this is what you have to say, you can't say that Jesus said marriage is between a man and a woman. You can't say that now. And powerful people in our country are saying that you Christians, so bigoted, so discriminating. Okay, we'll stand with Jesus. Don't deny him. You're going to be tempted to, especially if you're alone, and then there's just a servant girl, and then just other people around you. And they don't know God, and they can despise him, they can be indifferent about him, but we as believers can't. We know who He is. We know He is the Christ. We know He is coming again. We know He's our Savior. We know that we are born again. We know that we are followers of Jesus. And we're going to do what He says. It doesn't matter if the whole world puts us on trial. We're going to be judged by this. Not a measly little Supreme Court that tells us to be quiet. suffering while following my Savior. Jesus has told his disciples so many times, if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. If you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. If you follow me, count the costs when you follow me because you're going to suffer. And now the suffering starts, and they need power. And God gives them that power in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes inside of Peter, 
And instead of denying him on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and boldly proclaims Christ, and 3,000 people trust Christ as their Savior. But they start getting persecuted. And you'll see persecution in the book of Acts constantly for the disciples, getting beaten, getting put in prison. The night before Peter is to be killed, he is sleeping because he is trusting his Savior. The Savior's with him. Are you willing to suffer slander? Because Jesus was slandered. The world's going to treat us like they treated our Savior when he was first here. The world's going to tell us that we are unkind, we are unloving if we tell them the truth. And yet, we know the truth because it's written. What did Jesus do? We have to study it. Not what would Jesus do, what did he do? Study it. Are you willing to suffer slander as you follow your servant Savior? You will. There are many, many Christians right now in prison and have been slandered. There are many of you that have been slandered whenever you trusted Christ as your Savior by your family, by your friends, by your coworkers, and you're going to continue to suffer. It's part of the Christian life. Second, are you willing to suffer cruelty? There are Christians that are brutalized, beat up, imprisoned, tortured just this week in many parts of the world. Cruelty to Christians likely is coming to this country. It's coming. Are we ready? Are we willing to suffer? What did Jesus do? Go back to your Bible and read it and study it and say, God, I am so much like Peter. I want to deny you. When I could suffer, help me not to deny you. Help me to stand for you. When the whole world is against you and feels like they're against me and they're going to treat me cruel, cruelly, please help me to be willing to suffer. Change my heart to make me willing to suffer for you. And then third, if you have denied following your servant Savior, are you willing to repent? What we see at the end of this is very encouraging for us. Peter isn't treating Jesus cruelly, although he did in denying him, but look at how he responds at the end of verse 72. He broke down and he wept. We need to weep when we deny Christ. We need to be broken personally and confess our sin and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. Peter does not go down in the pages of history. He's not in heaven and God says, here's that denying Peter. No, the denial of Peter is forgiven and we can be forgiven. Gross injustices. You may have, you may be here and, or you may be watching and you despise Jesus. And you're looking at the Bible, you're like, if that's the Jesus of the Bible, I want nothing to do with him. I'm going to stamp out this Christianity like the Apostle Paul was before he was converted and like many of you may have been. But when you realize he is who he claims to be and you need him as your Lord and Savior, you cannot save yourself from your flesh. And you repent. And you need to keep repenting because the world's going to keep pressuring you to deny your Savior as it pressured Peter. It's, it's coming. We're not going to deny our Savior. If we do, we're going to confess and say, okay, God, I'm sorry for denying I was a follower of Christ. I'm going to be faithful 
and speaking the truth, even if it costs me this. Are you willing to repent? Let's pray. Our Father, we know our Savior suffered. We know He told us that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Help us, we don't want to be persecuted. That's weird. Uh, We don't want to uh, be in prison and be treated cruelly. But we want to be faithful to you. As your son was perfectly faithful to you, help us to follow his example and what he did do. Help us to study your word. Thank you for your word. Help us to know how to respond when people treat us unjustly. Unjustly. Help us to endure injustice in our lives. And help us to trust you that one day all wrongs will be right. All those who were in power on earth, from the dictators of countries to bosses who are cruel, all of them will stand before you and they will receive an eternal punishment or eternal reward. We put them in your hands and uh, we know that you will, you're, you're the judge of the whole earth. You will deal justly with people. And thank you that uh, you're with us. You promise to be with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And you'll be with us in the hardest of times. If we have to go to prison, if we have to be treated uh, unjustly, help us to know that you are pleased and that we can please you. In Jesus' name, amen.